Bonjour à tous, c'est l'épisode 140 du podcast matériel et je suis un de tes hôtes, Roussel Ivanovich. Soyez nerchimiles publics viobodnex, poltil en orgueil carrierus, à partir de l'alignation la narodne, à l'instruction de l'économie vidéot, Andy et Nietko. Makama Florenza. <laughs> oh, I'm so Especially sorry. But that was amazing. They me Florence. <laughs> Welcome I'm to sure some, Material Somebody podcast. Romanian out there is going to write me and say, girl, work on your grammar. And I'll be like, I know. Listen, I'm American born. I'm doing the best that I can every day. I'm just glad that we're all still in that Olympic international uh, spirit uh, t- uh, so three days after the Olympics closed down. Uh, I went to, I just want to say for the record that I went to a birthday party. I was in New York City over the weekend and I went to a birthday party on Saturday (laughs) and I pretty much watched the Olympics while everybody else talked to each other (laughs) because it was the closing (laughs) ceremony. And I had to see just one more time the beautiful Canadian duo dancing out on the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it that that's the only sport? Wouldn't it be, I don't know why like curling doesn't do, now that the medals are over, we're going to have a curling exposition. We're just we're just gonna do like we're gonna do curling. All the all the stars are gonna do curling trick shots, and you know, <laughs> syncopated curling, curling trick shots. I mean, that's a way to market it to me. It hasn't been marketed to me that way yet. Curling after hours, you know, all the competitors get together, have a few drinks, and then then they go curling. I mean, there's there's so much marketing opportunity in here. I can't do they believe go the curling. Uh, yeah, that's what you do, isn't it? You get drunk, you go curling. No, I would imagine it would just. I I feel like it would just be chaos. Like everybody would feel like they can finally be themselves and not have to be, you know, because you really have to hold back on the curling court, you know, because if you do it too much, then you could overshoot it, then you just lose the game for everybody. I don't know. It's a point in curling when people stop being polite and start being real. This is the real curl. <laughs> yes, we need the TV rights to this. We. We uh, also need the rights flow. I, I saw you holding a little something in the pre-show. It oh, was yeah. white. It had a little lens on it, and I'm super excited about it. I, I need to know more. Let's talk about the Google Clips. Uh, I actually, the thing is, I work from home, and my life is not that interesting. So <laughs> I haven't really, like, I put it on today. I put it on today. Uh so I used the clips today. Before I get into it, uh, I did use the clips today because I got a new robe. I bought a beautiful sil- fake polyester. It's not silk. This polyester robe um, because it's like the fashion or whatever. So I decided to do a fashion show with the clips. <laughs> so it was like posing and trying to get it to like take pictures of me. And I don't like, I don't know. I, I want to try it a little more seriously in my next little fashion round. Um, but I will say the pictures that I got off of it, holy crap, they are really clear. Uh, this thing is super cute. So around it is this silicone outfitting, this little silicone clip. And it's as soft as kind of, uh, you know, like a silicone baking uh, pan. I don't know if you've, you've mm-hmm. ever used that for like baking bread. Like that's how that's how soft it feels with the little metal backing that uh, acts as a stand slash the clip. Nice little nice little industrial design there. I really like that idea that two in one. Um, and then the actual clips itself is just this cute little camera. But look, the camera is not flush. It actually sticks out oh, a little wow. bit. It's proud. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, uh, like like half the thickness of the clip's white body is actually the lens sticking out. Well, but that's because it's a button. So uh, oh. there is a little blue marker on the top. And when you flip it up, that's when you turn it on. And then um, the lights should 
should show. I don't know if you guys can see this in the webcam, but the lights should show. Oh, there they are. Hi. And now it's taking pictures of me talking to myself. Uh, and then to turn it off, I would just flip the lens the other way and then it's off. That's it. It's done. The back is this cute little this cute little teal, this little color paradigm that Google's got going on. It's super cool to see all the products lined up in real life. Um, and just to see like the design paradigm across them to see like the way that the coral on the Google Home Mini matches so nicely, this slate gray that's on the Google Home Max, which like mat matches so nicely, this little speckled gray that's on the silicone enclosure. So I really like that part. I can't speak too much to the clips yet because, again, I've only had it for a couple hours, but setup was super easy. Just download the app and boom, it mm. just worked. And has it, has it taken uses, many pictures? Uh, yeah, it took a bunch within <clears throat> like the first couple of minutes that I had it set up. Who is texting me? <sighs> Sorry. You have, to, <laughs> you have to preface it, say, okay, Guillermo, and then... <laughs> Your, your Google Home will tell you who's texting you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, I So I picked up my phone, hence the who is texting me comment, um, to turn on the Google Clips app. So there is a whole app to it. Uh, so let's see if you guys can see this. I'm I love how I try to do these demos with you over webcam and then our audience is like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but basically it's just the speed. It's just this feed. So you see, you know, I, I see a scrolling list of you just various photos. Yeah. Yeah. Just various. It's just flow posing uh, or attempting to pose me like doing stretches on camera. There's my <laughs> husband walking through with the with the coffee he picked up earlier. It, it, it looks a little creepy. It kind of looks like um, like when you watch back the Nest security camera footage. And it's like, you know, from that, like in the corner perspective. Like the and clips is totally... hiding in a bush, just like taking photos of you. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just so funny. And then to save each clip, you just kind of tap on it and go save. It uses the same little symbols that you'd see in Google Photos to let you know if the assistant worked in the background. Um, like when there's an auto awesome opportunity. So it'll put like a little auto awesome, um, icon in the corner to show you that like it already made some magic happen there. Oh no, sorry. That actually means it's a suggested clip. Do over. That's not what that means. It's not auto awesome. It's suggested clip and suggested clips uh, are with familiar faces or pets. And actually, one thing that I didn't mention is in the beginning, it was offering me to register those faces and those familiar people and things in my environment. But I didn't do it because everyone's working today. The cat's working. She's working on sleeping. Um, my husband's working upstairs. We don't have time for these shenanigans. I really need to take this. I'm going to actually take this for a walk. I'm very curious. I don't know. There's there's a whole world of possibilities with the Google Clips. I'm just happy that it arrived when Google said it would. February 28th. It was yeah. here on the dot February 28th. That's for it's yeah, I'm yeah, I'm really interested to hear what happens when you take it for a walk because Google seems to have been setting expectations high for a couple of very specific sort of uses, but low for if you're expecting that this is going to be like a life cam where you get home at the end of a long day and you'll have this nicely tightly edited roll of 18 to 22 pictures that are gorgeous and as opposed to, oh, look, my dog, it took pictures when I was playing with my dog. Oh, look, it took pictures when my dog was playing with my kid. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happened. What would happen like if you were just like out in a bike ride? Like how could it, how will, how would it handle like the camera not being on a shelf somewhere, how would it handle being in motion? 
I should have mentioned, I really missed the opportunity to mention that this app has Tinder swiping enabled. Uh, <laughs> swipe to the left to delete, swipe to the right to save. Uh, so the whole idea, if I understand this, is it's saving them locally to the device and it's trying to give you a really quick way of saying like yes, no to the ones you actually send to your Google photos. Is that right? Yes. I believe that is what is happening. I haven't really been like awarely using this. I haven't been aware while using this app. Um, I kind of just been quickly cycling through it. Uh, to your point earlier, Andy, about the tightly edited. I don't know so much about the tightly edited because yeah. <laughs> when you look at the feed, it's kind of like there's Flo in her room. Cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm just disappointed, Flo, because I thought you meant you were assembling a robe. I thought you'd gone to like Ikea or some kind of furniture shop and you're sitting there with the screwdrivers and the Allen keys assembling a robe and you were hoping that the clips would turn that into some kind of like a stop motion animation type thing of you assembling a robe in 30 seconds. When I found out you just meant a dress, I'm a bit disappointed. I'm like, oh, where's, where's the robe assembly? I want to <laughs> see the robe assembly. I know. I brought this robe into this podcast today. You know, I really wasn't planning on it, but I'm pretty excited about finding this robe on sale when I did. So that's why I took pictures in it today. I guess give me a week and I'll let you guys know if this $280 investment of mine was an investment or just an opportunity for me to have a cool thing. (laughs) <laughs> which I've, I'm already leaning toward the latter. By the way, it connects by Bluetooth, which is like fine. That's the standard. It's cool, whatever. But it's just sort of like, ugh, connects by well, Bluetooth. <laughs> see, this is this is why people in our profession, like tech journalists, it's always a win-win situation. Either you're going to love having the Google Clips, it's going to expand your life in ways that you can even you can't even imagine. Or okay, tax deductible, and I'll write some stuff about it, and it'll work. <laughs> See, ah, the life, Princess. Free life. Is there any other reason we're in this industry? Because I can't think of any. <laughs> or, or, or you can buy the Clips camera to see how your podcast app interacts with it correctly. Make sure if a phone is connected to the Clips camera, it can still play podcasts correctly. It's very important research. Now, if only Google would sell the Clips camera here. I, I know I sound like a broken record when I say this every single week, but I hope somewhere out there there's some international listeners that are like, you go, Russell, you stand up for us non-US people because Google has not deemed us worthy of, of this camera. Can't, can't, is it time for that yet? I mean, this camera, we haven't even figured out if it's going to sell. Oh, I see how it is. You test it on US people because we're better than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not because we're better. Exactly. We're the <laughs> guinea pigs. Exactly. We'll, we'll take anything. Oh, you want my data? Here you go, honey. Oh, that's it's, a cool feature. I don't even care. You take all my data. It's it's not as uh, it's not as though the world medical community wants to cure cancer in white mice first. It's because they want to... They, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what you should think about when you think about all the stuff that heads to America first. All right. I'll, I'll let you, you have f- that one. Make you I'll feel better. You You're being protected. You are protected down under. I don't want to be protected. It's dangerous enough as it is down here, Flo. Protected. That's use that word advisedly with, with Australia. <laughs> and, you know, Russell, if you need me to smuggle you some things, you know, we can make that happen. I, you know, Google I, I have ways. My, that, that's my annual shopping trip to the US where I just buy everything you can't get in Australia. And that's an even better excuse than being in the tech industry. It's like I'm in a store where they sell something that's not available in my country that Google or whoever don't want me to have, Google, Amazon, whoever, to take, take your company, take your pick. And what better reason than to grab it right there and then obviously pay for it. I'm not stealing it or anything. Not not yet. But, yeah, that's, that's my excuse. Um, we had 
I don't think I've ever seen this volume of listener feedback come into our inbox. I don't know what you two did on Twitter or what we said last show, but um, <laughs> we, we had so many tweets, we had so many emails. I'm not even going to like cover them all in this show. There are just that many of them that came in. But I did want to highlight a few that I, I thought were really cool. Um, one from Harsha, and I hope I got that name right. Uh, they say, been a very recent listener to this podcast and I can't believe that I haven't followed it much sooner. I mean, we, we can't believe that either, let's be honest. I think that Google has has been and always is, as Russell put it, a force for good. I'm sure I said that at some point. I do listen to the Cortex podcast by CGP Gray and Mike Hurley and they're more focused on proactivity and the workflow side of things and I kind of feel left out as a Google user as the majority of the apps they mention are Apple exclusive. I would love for a showdown episode where both podcasts go at it against each other in a battle of the platforms. It would make for a very exciting members-only podcast. So this mm. is like competing for the idea of do we do this six-hour podcast that, uh, that Andy, I believe, mentioned last week or do we go with an idea of taking on another show for the uh, the pride of, you know, Google versus Apple? I think I would love that. You know what? That was kind of the one of the reasons I started covering Android many years ago is because I noticed that nobody was writing about Android apps and Android things and how to do Android things. And so I felt like there is a need for this that needs to exist. And so somebody has to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> somebody has to has to educate. Plus, imagine, imagine the role that we have as educators in this world exactly. need to educate. Imagine how many people we could maybe even convert over to our side. <laughs> Forcefully now, if see, required. That's, <laughs> that's the, historically, this is where cultures run into problems. When they start thinking about, let's go into this other person's community and think it's about true. how many people so, we can convert. So we want to be really careful. <laughs> I, I should end this email. JK, it, ends, it ends on a really, JK. <laughs> ends on a really positive note. I redid this last paragraph. It says, anyway, I love my Pixel 2. Pretty cool to see that I've got a Pixel 2. My Google Home Max. Okay, just rub it in because I don't have one of those. Really enjoying all the things that Florence was discussing regarding smart home accessories and wouldn't mind if it was a regular segment of the show. So there you go, Flo. Someone wants you to do a regular sort of segment on the show all about the, the home automation-y sort of stuff. I was thinking a lot about today a lot about that today because I was working on a story as I do, thankfully. Um, I'm most thankful when I have work. Uh, <laughs> and just thinking about all the ways that I've been using these, I, I've been using the Google Assistant as my daily assistant. Today, I was trying to figure out how to log my hours with the Google Home. I still haven't really figured that out. Is it like a timesheet style thing? Yeah, I tried to set up uh, – this is – I mean, and this is just a little example I want to put out there into the world as the kind of stuff that you can do with these things that you bring into your house. This is not just a Google Home thing. This is also an uh, Echo thing, an Echo speaker thing. If you've got uh, Amazon stuff in your house, you can use this stuff to help you remember. Like today I learned about a service called Wonder, which I had no idea is a bot that you can just call on from the Echo Speaker or Google Home and it will help you remember things. So you would just tell it like, hey, Wonder, help me remember uh, this phone number or help me remember this person's date or help me remember whatever. And it'll log that for you, kind of like an extension of your own brain. <laughs> so instead of relying on your own neurons inside your brain to remember that for you, because as we know, humans are inherently flawed, um, <laughs> that you would just have uh, the Google Home remember that for you because that's what it's there for. So there's all these little things that I'm trying to discover. Right now I'm having problems using IFTTT to log yeah. my hours because I just can't figure out like the cell spreadsheet thing. This is all like 
new stuff that I'm venturing into. And I have to be careful not to go down a hole during work hours <laughs> because, <laughs> because then I don't get my the stuff done that I'm on deadline for. But that's like how much there is to discover about this. And I like it too, since we're quickly on the topic. I also like it too, because this is stuff that anybody can do. Like I think I could totally write this for someone like my mom or her friends and they would feel like, hey, maybe this is something we could try on our own. Maybe. Yeah. As soon as you start digging into if this, then that, that's if there's any time you've ever said to yourself, whether it's the Google Home or your phone or anything, dang, why, why isn't there a feature to do this? Go to ifttt.com, do a search for why can't I add a reminder to my Apple reminders through Google Home and say, oh, well, here's an here's a recipe for that. Click this, click the big fat get started button and it will hook up to, yeah, it's it's quite it's it's quite amazing when you think about how how long can you complain about something before you realize that, oh, I could have solved this in about 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, and I got some feedback for you quickly, Flo, for last last week or the week before you mentioned about the Google Home and it had the the quiet hours and the, the few other things you could set on it in terms of the lights and how loud it was. I set that up on the Google Home Mini that we have in the bedroom and it is amazing. I, I, I don't know why I didn't look for this feature. I'm just like, man, you are loud. Can you just be like a little bit quieter? And this fixes that. I'm like, it just whispers to me softly at night. It's, it's so good. I do want to add one little thing before we move on to our, to a little more feedback that we have, which is awesome. Um, the, so this week or rather over at mobile world Congress, I believe, or during that time, there was announcement of the Google home getting routines. It's not out yet, but it's coming. Uh, it's akin to Amazon's routines. I'm trying not to say the name, but it's akin to Amazon's routines, uh, in the app, which essentially let you say a phrase. And then the phrase would basically trigger a bunch of actions at the same time. So you'd say something like, Hey, start the work hour. And in my example, it would like dim my lights, put on my work playlist, put on a purple light behind me. Cause I like to have a little bit that in the energy, um, that kind of thing. I just want to say, I don't want anybody to worry. All that other third-party stuff is still going to matter after those routines come out. And it's exactly because we were talking about IFTTT. Those things are just a little more malleable, a little more robust. Well, it's I, I, what's what's making home automation and these smart speakers work so well is just that so many companies they don't have to they all, all they all they only have to create one cool piece of hardware that does one thing, True. Uh, and so long as the and so long as it does a second thing, which is to integrate with Google Home, uh, and uh, and HomeKit, then there's there's something that I was doing like my first or second apartment back when uh, there used to be these X10 home automation controllers where you plug them you plug them into a wall outlet and they use your home like wiring to communicate these modules with each other they can plug lamps and appliances mm-hmm. and things into them and it was a standard and the th- <laughs> and the thing that I used to, I used to have it do is i would put uh, like a motion sensor at the very very top of the stairs like pointing downward at the stairs and then a second one at the very bottom of the staircase pointing down uh, and then also and a third one that was like right at my office door and so i had a script running on my mac that i could figure out that oh he's go there's movement on the stairways he's going downstairs that means i can turn off lights upstairs yep. and, he's, and then turn on some lights downstairs automatically or and then but it would of course it wouldn't trip if it's if it said that if it noticed that okay andy has left his office 
Okay, but he's probably just using he's probably just using the bathroom on the top stairs. Okay, that's right, he's come back. And then we do things like top move movement at the doorway of the office. He's gone downstairs and now he has now there's movement like uh, uh at his at his parking space. That means he's actually left. Great, let's do a let's do a complete backup. Let's do all kinds of things that take lots of time to run the computer and then if he's still not back then we'll shut things down. So that's I I keep thinking that I should start buying motion sensors. I don't know if it's as easy as just simply saying computer begin that watch and or or, <laughs> you don't or if need it's just motion nostalgia. sensors i mean you could use motion sensors i guess to have that very specific experience but i use stringify so that after 6 p.m every night um if there's motion uh if the ring doorbell out front captures any motion on the camera it'll immediately turn on my living room light to a certain dimness. So it looks like somebody's home or somebody just like walked into the living room. Yeah. And it's nice too, when we're like, you know, either my husband and I are coming home and it's dark because my HOA has not replaced the light bulbs outside, which I've been complaining about repeatedly, but homeowners <laughs> association, Russell. So. Yeah, I'm like, what is a HOA? Like, wow, that's, that's a mean name for your landlord. What a HOA. Fish um, shake. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I thing is I have an aunt, who used to who used to say that, but she would not be referring to homeowners association. She'd be referring to someone in her church that was behaving inappropriately. But. Oh boy! <laughs> I, I, in, in all seriousness, we, we should wrap up this bit of feedback, but I, I do think we should get into the home automation side of things in future shows because I am insanely interested in it as well. Like I have some of the the hue motion sensors, which I've obviously figured out how to hook up mm-hmm. to the hue lights because that's super basic. But I, I'm wondering, can you do more with these things? Like the motion sensors, they've got like a um, a temperature sensor built in. Sure, that you can do a whole bunch of things. So think, thinking caps on for future episodes. <laughs> um, I'm putting my thinking cap on. Excellent. We should move to the next email. It is from Yekta. And again, apologies if I mispronounce your name. I can't listen I can't listen to material podcasts on the Google Home yet. Is there any information when this will be available or is this a, an issue with Google? And I'll put my part of this in is that in Australia, we don't have the podcasting part of Google Play Music. And without that, you actually can't get podcasts at all. So again, that's a, I believe, US thing, hmm. maybe UK yeah. as well. But I was hoping one of you two, I noticed someone's written something in the show notes, one of you two might have tested this out and, and tried it. Yeah, I tested I tested this out just before the show. And because I have uh, Amazon Alyosha and Google Guillermo uh, in the <laughs> office here, uh, no, they both will play episodes of like the Judge John Hodgman podcast. They will not play the material podcast. Uh, then I used uh, a second trick that sometimes works. Uh, if it if it doesn't have a certain uh, if if it doesn't work on something like that, you can just specifically say uh, play the latest episode of Boom 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 on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio, saying that specifically go to this service where I'm very very sure that we that this podcast is actually hosted. Uh, and it didn't work there either. So I don't know. Maybe it's something that uh and this is going realize that this is going on exactly five minutes worth of experimentation just before the show but i wonder if it's that the the show title is simple enough that it's not matching it to a specific podcast or it's matching it to too many podcasts uh i have no idea did you try it did you try it which which podcast app did you try it with (laughs) uh i was just asking you know hey guillermo play the latest episode of material did you try it with Pocket Casts? <laughs> no, so this this is an interesting part. You can't do that as a developer yet. They still don't have a streaming API. Really? So, yeah. So Amazon has had one I, for years. But that's how I asked Google to do it. And it always works for me. So it does because Google can actually recognize podcast names. And and I think if the name is unique enough and it knows what it is, it'll happily play it. But maybe there's Wait, something wrong with that but podcast. How come it plays it? How come it plays it through? 
Pocket Cast. Sorry, it, it works on your phone. This is this is a really confusing distinction. It so there's no streaming API on the Google Home for developers unless they work you know directly mm. with Google. But on your phone, if you say play whatever material podcast in Pocket Casts, I, if you've got the Pocket Cast app installed, it will launch it and try and play um, whatever episode of material you're up to, which is kind of cool. That's like an assistant integration. It's just annoying that it doesn't work on the Google Home. It's like local to your to your phone. Okay, this is good to know because I was wondering about that. And also I appreciate the little API tidbit because I was not aware that those are like, I mean, I should be aware. Those are two totally different things. I didn't even realize that that wasn't available to developers. Yeah, I should, I should oh, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole just for 30 seconds here. Um, so <laughs> maybe a lot of people don't realize this. So when you talk to the Google Home, it talks to directly to a server at Google, so via your Wi-Fi sure. or however it's connected. And then that talks to, if, you, if you're using something like uh, like an app that you're using, that then goes to another server that's run by the app developer. And those two servers talk to each other to figure out what the speaker should say. And so at no point does it go back to your phone or talk to any of the apps on your phone. Like it, it can know about your Google account if you link that up. It can know some other things about you, but it's completely independent of your phone. And the confusing confusing part is when you use the assistant on your phone, there's a whole yeah. bunch of extra stuff you can do with the local apps that are installed. So I don't know how many people know that, but that's like an interesting sort of tidbit. Uh, it's also confusing, but <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be confusing because it's supposed to work. So it's like, hey, if that's not going to pick up your voice, maybe your phone will pick up your voice. I don't know. But anyway, I'm sorry, Ekta, that you're having a hard time getting our podcast on the Google Home. But you yeah. can use casting if you do it from through Pocket Casts on your <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I assume any other device. podcasting app you might use or probably also has a Google Cast button that you can yes, just tap. Yes, it's the yes. little square that looks like it's got a Wi-Fi symbol in the bottom right-hand corner, I think. If you tap that, you can go straight to your Google Home. So there, there's a workaround, I guess. Um, I'm going to breeze past this one because a ton of people wrote in to tell us that the Panorama modes Andy found have only been around for a while since 2014 possibly mm. so please please stop writing to us we know yeah, I got I, I'm gonna dig out an old phone that hasn't been updated in a couple of years and check it out I've uh, I don't I don't doubt that it's been there if other people have seen it I'm surprised that I didn't see it before now so I don't know if maybe they uh, maybe it went from being in a drop down to being in a bar of buttons at the top. It's now a bar of buttons on the top. Maybe it was a change that was made that I just wasn't surfaced to me before. Uh, but when I, when I say that I'm going to dig out an old phone, not I'm not saying that. Well, if, if a thousand people are telling me it's been there before, I'm wondering why so many people just want to make me look bad by making something <laughs> up. It's, I'm always it's it's I'm always curious when I when I find out I'm wrong about something. It's not only being right. Uh, not only enjoying being corrected, but trying to figure out why uh, why I was wrong in the first place. That's how you that's how you avoid further mistakes in the future. <laughs> we, we can fix this, Andy. The, the next bit of feedback from uh, Sandra was directed at you, so I might might even let you cover that. But we we actually have an answer to this one, so this one's easy. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, so a material podcast in episode one three eight. Uh, Andy compared the sales number of Pixel versus iPhone, but Apple sells five different phones, sold five different phones in 2017, the 7, 7 Plus, 8, 8 Plus, and the 10. Actually, more than that, but uh, uh, what are the numbers of uh, iPhone X versus iPhone 10 versus Pixel 2's flagship versus flagship? Now, I'm going to give you an offer. <laughs> it's like have you ever seen that point that, that point in the chess movie where the person just simply says i'm offering you a draw right now <laughs> if you shake my hand we can call this a draw and i'm saying take the draw 
No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as we said last time, uh, 3.9 million pixels, that's of all kinds, were sold throughout all of 2017. Uh, estimates, Apple doesn't break these out, but analysts are very, very good at getting this pretty close, of iPhone 10s sold in just the fourth quarter, just the first quarter in which they were available, 29 million, 29 million, 29 million, uh, which also failed to meet analysts' expectations for the sales of the device. So, <laughs> so terribly, only 29 million. It's still, and again, the, the, the fact that something sells better does not mean it is better. I, I would not swap an iPhone 10 for, uh, for my, okay, I would probably swap it for my uh, Pixel version 1, which is what I have, because I could certainly get enough money on it in the trade-in market to get a Pixel 2. Uh, but I would not want to have a pix- uh, an iPhone 10 instead of my instead of a Pixel 2 as my daily driver. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, sales numbers aren't everything, but it's good to to know the the comparative sort of sales rates, just because sometimes you end up so much in one lane versus the other that you're like, the iPhone is the greatest, and no other phones exist. And you're like, no, actually, there's there's a whole world of you know 80 percent Android, and then you get on the other side, you're like, oh, the iPhone can't be that popular compared to the Pixel, but <laughs> it is. This is this is just how the the world works. So because there have been all these phones with notches being announced at MWC <laughs> that have been just, and we will get to that, that have just been, you know, all throughout Twitter. I had a dream last night that I had the iPhone 10. <laughs> Why did I have that dream? I just, you just made me recall it. Like it, that memory just came flushing back to Chasing me you we down talking. a dark hallway? What like was it? Driving you somewhere? No, like- I, I, I now vividly remember. Like it was in my hand, and I flipped over the phone, and I see like the rounded corners, and I, and I see the notch, and then I see the interface. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, this isn't Halloween. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Guillermo, why did you leave me? <laughs> um, I, I probably would. Would shout that as well. Uh, should we, should, <laughs> let's should, let's make some money for ourselves. Should we make some money? Let's make some money. Uh, our first advertisement of the episode this week is brought to you by Squarespace. You could enter the offer code material at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio of Google Clips photos. Maybe you want to create a blog of Google Clips photos. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered for you. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas or wonderful Google Clips clips. Squarespace plans start at just 12 bucks a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, you can use the offer code MATERIAL to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for material. We thank Squarespace for their unwavered support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website about Google Clips. <laughs> I see a pattern here. <laughs> Someone's pretty excited about that Google Clips. <laughs> suggestion, just in case you also spent $280 on this thing like I did. 
So we're going to use like Google Home to connect to an if this then that recipe to take Google Clips pictures and do an automatic post on Squarespace. I bet that there's already a recipe, not for that, but something similar enough that you can get there from there. Oh, yeah. I think there is actually Squarespace recipes on IFTTT. <laughs> so that would totally work. I don't know there. <laughs> Boy, that that would be like the ultimate for uh, for people in our in our line of work. So I can just uh, usually it's like I in the morning I have that extra step of I'm not going to get out of bed to do work, but I'm going to have to like reach over and pull my MacBook like into the bed. I could just like just sort of like lie there and <laughs> the like not even like I have to open my eyes and just start like dictating a blog post that goes onto Squarespace. And then like three, I'll then go back to sleep two hours late as they ask what the analytics are, <laughs> how, how many ad impressions <laughs> have I gotten there. And if I've and if I've already made enough money based on those ads, go right back to sleep until three or four in the afternoon. By the way, I had a formula like this in 2007 uh, where I would post a live journal post through Flickr with a picture attached. I remember both of those services. Ah, the olden <laughs> <R>. days. <sighs> <laughs> but yeah, but you, you know, yeah, yeah, you ask the post millennial millennial generation, and they don't even know what you're talking about. They don't even know how hard it was. Um, <laughs> be, I mean, look look at this crop of phones that just came at Mobile World Congress. All these things, all these phones can do all these things and more. Yes, and more. I would, well, maybe perhaps we should get that. We're probably going to have to talk about Mobile World Congress. I guess uh, that's going on this week. Yeah, uh, it's nearly. It's just not. They're terribly exciting. It's like I remember years where it's like there'd be something that would be lots of people who are nerds like us would be talking about. Uh, there are a couple of interesting stories, uh, really, but the only piece of hardware that's I think that's super of interest to. Uh, Android users is, of course, the Samsung Galaxy S9 and the S9 Plus. And even that was pretty much 90% spoiled with, pre, with pre-release with pre leaks, some directly from Samsung. Uh, but for, let's just I'll go run down the details. Uh, you got your S9, you got your S9 Plus. They're going to be released on March 16th. You can get them uh, in 64, 128, and 256 gigabytes of storage. And they also have that micro SD card slot, so you can have whatever you want. Uh, 720 bucks for the S9 for these 64 gig, 840 for the S9 Plus, also 64 gigs. But And those are the prices directly from Samsung. First bit of controversy, all the U.S. makers – now, here's just to make you feel less jealous, Russell – for some reason, almost all of the U.S. vendors are marking them up. If you buy it directly from T-Mobile, you'll be able to get them at the direct from Samsung price. AT&T is marking up uh, – AT&T and Verizon uh, are both selling them for about $790 and $915. So they're uh, they're adding about $70, $70 to each price. I don't know. I don't get that. I, is that – Not just, cool. Not cool. Yeah. I mean is, is that – That's not it, cool for consumers. Yeah, it's like that's again. It's like it's not a small amount of money. It's not like a rounding error. Well, and they charge them. They charge them monthly. They charge those who would go that way monthly, right? Unless you want to pay all that outright. But why would you pay more for that outright? No, I think I, I no. I think that I think that's the upfront price. I'd have to double check that. But oh. I think that's the upfront you own it price. Um, but even so, that's hmm. if I'm sure that over <laughs> over two years, that's even more money because they're not basically giving these phones away i was uh, the only thing i was thinking is that maybe they're anticipating that you, you know that in august and september we're going to be doing a bogo offer on this we gotta pay for those free phones we're going to be giving out somehow and if we can just stick enough early adopters with the with the markup i don't rude. know but it's it's yeah it's rude it, 
And particularly because this was a price drop from last year's models, not not a big one, but they uh, that's about a ten percent, uh, maybe five or ten percent uh, less than last year's, or at least at least enough for burritos for yourself and a friend, uh, and beverage, and perhaps with guac. I think, I think this is a price. I'm just looking up the Australian price. It's one thousand one hundred ninety nine Australian dollars, which is about nine hundred and twenty US dollars. So I, I don't think we've won on the the conversion, but I'm pretty sure that's cheaper than. Than last year's S9 was here. And the thing I like about Samsung and, you know, Google and a few other companies could learn from them is they're launching here as well. They're launching it, you know, a whole bunch of countries at the same time. It's available uh, on the 9th. It says ships from the 9th of March here, which is kind of cool. That's how you maintain world domination. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do we get it first? Uh, if that ships on the 9th of March, I think we actually win. Yours is the 16th. Probably. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Oh, wow. Well, maybe probably maybe you have fewer... If you have an FCC, I don't even know. <laughs> because of the earlier harvest, I think. The same reason why Canadian Thanksgiving comes early. Yeah, the whole, the whole time zones thing. The, the only thing you really get to get excited about these days is new cameras. Uh, and so this is going to be the first Galaxy with dual lenses. Uh, also with uh, only the second phone, I think, with dual apertures. That's the opening in the camera lens that uh, that decides how much light comes in or does not come in. Uh, so the number that we're used to talking about is the minimum, the maximum aperture, the op- the openest it can be, uh, which is uh, a lot, lot more than uh, what the last year's model is. So it's it should do better in low light. But the cool thing is that it can also switch to f 2.4 instead of f 1.5, which is much, much smaller. So that's actually cool because uh, the smaller apertures let in less light but it means that focusing is much much deeper there's a your uh, the stuff closer to the lens and the stuff farther away from the lens is also in focus so autofocus has to be fast as usual but there you know if it's off by a little bit more stuff is going to be in focus so that should be pretty cool uh they're also they're also talking about how uh, with the new faster processor they're doing 12 image image stacking which is super super cool it's, it's one of those things that doesn't really come across in a bullet chart sort of thing, it means that's actually taking twelve pictures, and then you can do this. You can do this in uh, in Photoshop. It takes twelve pictures, and the the thing with noise of high ISOs is that it is random. It's not like the same. If there's like a dot that's kind of screwy, it's going to be a, a different dot in a different place. So what you do is you take a series of pictures without moving. Uh, if you were doing this in Photoshop. Uh, and then simply tell uh, Photoshop, please make a composite picture from these 12 images, stack them so that it only represents pixels that are the same in the same location, picture after picture after picture. So the what the uh, uh, what the Galaxy is doing is it's taking a burst of pictures. You don't have to have it on a tripod or anything. And it's going to reduce image noise that way. Uh, so it's uh, the thing that the, uh, the thing that's easiest to test about these things isn't benchmarks. It's how good pic- how good a picture does it take. So they're trying. They're clearly trying to win that one. Um, I don't know how much further they can go because they're already the best cameras already take super super good pictures. It comes down to what kind of photo can you stage. <laughs> <laughs> stage is a loaded word, but like, do you, if you want to prove that the iPhone 10 is the best camera in the world, you can set up a photo that it will take better than any other camera. But if you want to say the Pixel 2 is the best camera in the world, you can set up a photo that makes it the best one in the world. Here's the thing that I've always had a problem with Samsung phones and just basically, yeah, Samsung phones in particular, since that's what we're talking about here. Um, 
I always feel like the final, and I've never, I actually haven't even seen this, like I've never really noticed this on iPhones either. And um, just in my experience, I feel like the Samsung photos, there's always this sort of fuzziness about it that exists um, with the way that it processes photos. And I don't know what it is about it, but it's it's so, since I've been covering, since I covered phones for five years and I just, I've zoomed into so many pictures <laughs> uh, in those five years, like I've really learned what it means to have like a clear picture and to have a smartphone take a clear picture is very important because that helps the longevity of that digital photo. And even now when I get photos sort of resurfaced on Google photos for me, you know, whatever, like this, you know, back in this day, and you get those photos that were taken with other with the Samsung phones, there's just this palatable difference or rather this visible difference between the two. Um, and I think part of the reason I'm kind of bored by this year's galaxy announcement is because I'm so incredibly satisfied with the pixel too. Last year, there was still a little bit to be desired about the pixel. Like it wasn't water resistant. It didn't have some of these extra little things that I wanted, um, that I, I liked in the galaxy S eight, but this year, like, I don't, I have the pixel too. I don't even have the fancy curved bezel. I don't have the 18 by nine, uh, screen ratio. I don't have the big phone, but I am perfectly satisfied with the pixel two and how much money I spent on it. With the Galaxy S9, I just think about, okay, we have all these cool specs that we're talking about here, but like my mom doesn't care about like a 2.4 aperture. Like who cares about that? She really does not. She's not going to shoot slow-mo. Um, we, we can't you know, sway your mom with 960 frames per second slow-mo. Yeah, I think once you show your mom like how that works, you're going to get like pictures like at least for the first couple of weeks every two hour of like an egg smashing into the counter <laughs> at 960 frames per second or or just like what or or like the the dog like licking peanut butter off its nose <laughs> in 960 frames per second slow motion that's now you have to it's a cool feature uh, that uh, the bad news is that it only runs for about <laughs> two tenths of a second but it also but the good news is that you don't have to it'll allow it'll you just lock it down and use it allows the video will automatically start as soon as it senses motion so which is a good I, thing because 0.2 seconds like trying to jam your finger down is you're not gonna have much success that's not good that's not easy <laughs> I, I have a, to say this is feature. i'm actually excited about this feature this is the one thing in the s9 that i'm like i can see myself playing with this for a few weeks and just having insane fun like throwing things at people and dropping things on the floor <laughs> and just just doing crazy things to see what it looks like at uh, 960 frames per second because I think the highest I've seen on a consumer camera is 240, uh, a consumer phone, I mean. I don't think I've seen anything near this highlight before. I think she's going to be, my mother we're talking about here, a little more excited about the super creepy AR emoji. <laughs> Which, but, but, but I mean this in actually all honesty uh, because if you think about it, this sort of feature is totally introduces like, hey, remember when Apple made a big stink about all the cool little an emoji that it could do? Um, guess what? We can do it too. And that's kind of the whole like point of like the Samsung, you know, iPhone thing. It's like you're a Samsung user. You have these like features 
<laughs> some of them which are yeah. better than the iPhones, you know. And just like, you know, and uh, they were still throwing a little bit of shade about how, hey, look, we, fu- we somehow managed to put a headphone jack in this again. Um, Amazing. But yeah, and, and, and when they're talking about their, they call it uh, AR emoji, and they're also making the point that, hey, we don't even need those fancy 3D face scanning sensors. We can just do it uh, programmetrically. But they are... Have you ever have you ever seen uh, like a ventriloquist act where the ventriloquist yes. has made up a dummy that looks like the ventriloquist? Yes, that's how creepy these AR emoji are. It's you. It it will. It's, it's not like oh look, it's a kitty cat, but it's matching my, my facial expressions. No, it tries to make an emoji that looks like you, and it's it's not cute. It's <laughs> it's like it's like. It's like the Soviets trying to copy a, a Teletubby. They yes. don't understand what makes something appealing. <laughs> Precisely. They just make something horrific. Perfect. That was the perfect way to explain it, Andy. I could, I'm could. i going to co-opt that from you and use that further going forward. Um, which I guess probably also leads us into this next point of uh, – Samsung promising to stop rolling out <laughs> crappy features That's, uh, that I, demo I, well, but are yeah, useless. I was. Uh, <laughs> this is this is probably one of the nicest Samsung news out of out of Mobile World Congress. Uh, so I guess uh, uh, Samsung's head of mobile operations, uh, DJ Ko, uh, had, mm-hmm. was speaking to the Korean press, and and a couple of different of these encounters started talking about how. Uh, they're going to try to not just be first to market with a feature. They're going to try to make sure that it actually works. Uh, here's a direct quote to um, a member of the Korean press saying, uh, we developed mobile phones earlier than China, and we, w- we were obsessed with being the world's first and the industry's first, rather than thinking about how this innovation would be meaningful to customers. Being the first turns out to be meaningless today, and our strategy is to launch something that consumers believe meaningful and valuable at a right time. Uh, and this uh, the same executive was talking to CNET, uh, not on. It was like a ca- it seemed like a casual like cocktail party sort of conversation. But they quoted him as saying uh, they asked him about the folding uh, Galaxy X phone, a uh, super super rumored phone that has a foldable OLED screen, uh, and uh, and uh, Cove was saying I need complete confidence that we're delivering the best user experience when we're launching a new category. And g- given that this has always been my sticking point with uh, with Samsung, they are the company that will say, "Hey, look, we've got face unlock." So that you can that all I have to do is like hold up a baseball card of a 1970s Philadelphia Phillies player that kind of looks like me, and it will unlock. Okay, technically, it's recognizing that it's a face, and he's got sideburns, and he's a guy. But we would like before I let people buy things using my phone, I would like some better, some 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 more uh, granularity for that. So if the if he's speaking on the record about how we have made this mistake in the past, we intend not to make this mistake in the future. That is, I'll I'm not I'm not even being sarcastic here. That is that makes them so much more competitive against Apple. That I hope this means this is great stuff heading in the future as opposed to, okay, today was the big press event. I'll come back to you in two weeks with all the ways that we figured out how these features fail and you'll never want to use them. Back to sports. Hey, so user experience also related. There is a Bixby button. Again, yes. on the Galaxy S9, it's not it, it's not going away. It's th- this is where we're at. This is where the world is going. Everything is an assistant now. Um, just to quickly piggyback off of that, also uh, LG and MWC announced um, a couple of phones with 
th- or they announced a new V30 variant with Think on the ThinQ platform, which uses AI in its camera to figure out what it's taking a photo of. Um, now, the reason I bring up the whole Bixby thing is because DJ Co has also said that a Bixby speaker is coming later this year. So. That's what the market was missing. They're like, I've got my Apple one, I've got my Google one, I've got, where's my Samsung speaker? That's what everyone's been, you know, banging down the doors for. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Wait, though. Wait, though. Very expressive today (laughs) on the webcam, like all over the place. I am being Uh, a little bit sarcastic, but only because I feel like everybody I know, and maybe this is one of those tech bubbles things, but everyone mm -hmm. I know, if they've got stats for how many people press the Bixie button, they're probably really impressive Mm -hmm. stats. They're like, people press this thing a lot. But... Nine times out of ten, they pressed it because they didn't mean to. Like it's a physical button <laughs> sitting on the side of the phone. Like they didn't mean to trigger the assistant and and there it is. And I'm sure Bixby has some fans out there. I've never personally met them but I'm sure they're, they're somewhere <laughs> in the world and they exist. But I, I just don't understand why some companies can't be like, you know what, we would like to have had an assistant. This is a really important thing. Like we can see that a lot of companies are going to lock up some things with their assistants but at some point like Microsoft realised in phones, like at some point you've lost. Like the assistant thing is it's sailed, it's gone, like it's it's over and, yeah, you're a proud company and, you know, you do really well and you sell a lot of phones but would it be the end of the world to put Google Assistant in there? Like would, would the world end? Like I, I don't know. This is not Cortana, first of all. I'm just going to put that out there. This is not Cortana, um, who I have never, who I, anyway, this is not Cortana. I do want to say, though, I feel like the Bixby is going to grow once this little speaker comes into the world. Here's why it's going to grow. Here's why I think it's going to grow. Because every time you go to Best Buy or Fry's or whatever brick and mortar where you buy your electronics, or every time you go to the carrier and you go, hey, I'm going to buy a new Samsung phone, guess what they're going to put in for free? They're going (laughs) to give you a little Bixby speaker. Then guess what you've got in your home? You don't have uh, an Amazon Echo. You don't have a Google Home. Now you have a Bixby speaker. Guess what you're going to talk to? Because it's also on your phone. There's a button for it. Oh, it's going to be Bixby. And on uh, the theme of user experience, the whole point of Bixby is that you're able to do things. You're able to, it hooks more into like the Samsung user interface than uh, Google Assistant does. So People who are really into the Samsung usage, like my mother, who loves the Samsung ecosystem. She loves the interface. She's That's why she bought a Note 8 now. Um, she's continuing that train is, you know, people who really like that user experience, I feel like are going to be really attracted to using Bixby. And it's going to be in this way with the whole like, hey, take this for free. Like it only cost us $15 to really make it because we just put like a little chip inside of it, you know, basically the equivalent of what, like a Raspberry Pi to make this thing talk to you in a nice little enclosure. It doesn't cost us anything. We're going to put it in your house. It's going to give you more of a reason to use it. You're going to figure out, oh, I could do this stuff with it. Then you're going to start pressing that button. I think you're right. Remember that Samsung, they're they're the they're the kings and queens of like two months after the release of a phone. It's like, hey, would you like a free Gear VR 360 degree camera with that? Yeah. Come and buy your phone today. Hey, would you like a would you like a view headset? Hey, would you like? Yeah, I, I could definitely see them doing that. Um, the there was one piece of. Uh, <sighs> Let's call it downright embarrassing features. <laughs> LG and ASUS. ASUS. Let's but let's give ASUS the biggest the slap in the face for this. Uh, they were basically showing off of uh, copying the iPhone 10. It's like, oh, that's great. So it means it has 3D face scanning. 
well, no. Okay, so it has uh, like a great security and oh, no, uh, we just decided that we'll put a notch uh, at the top of the screen so it will look visually like the uh, iPhone 10. And uh, the Asus presentation, the, the the killer screenshot from this was they have a whole slide which they're boasting, hey, and our notch is 26% smaller than the, quote, fruit phone, unquote, notch. Oh, oh, so, see if you can unpack that one. But it's like – so. See, it's I. Uh, I feel as though we need to make sure we're really clear to any Asus executives and designers that are talking about this. The reason why that the the iPhone 10 has that notch is because they did want to have as much of a no bezel experience as possible, and but that was a problem because. Well, because of that 3D face scanning, they have so many cameras and so many emitters and sensors up there. How do you do that? And so. The fact that your notch is not as wide, that's because you don't have as much stuff in there. Uh, and the second problem mm-hmm. is that Apple decided, well, we're going we're going this all in on having the minimum bezel possible. That's why the bottom screen goes all the way to the bottom. It doesn't have a black stripe at the bottom there like your phone does. I could continue, but you're yeah, that's that seems like a this is like a Calvin peeing on a Chevy logo <laughs> sticker where it's like, okay, you're kind of appropriating intellectual property because you think it's a cultural touchstone. I don't feel as though you've really maximized the innovation category here. Cultural touchstone. I never thought I would think of a notch as a cultural. Is that what humanity has come to? <laughs> oh, we whatever we were coming to, we, we came to it at least 80 years ago. <laughs> Let's just enjoy the slide to the bottom because we, we're not we're not we're not reversing that now. I mean, I, I get this from like you're a company that wants to be seen as you know innovative and cool and at the top and the same as everybody else and just as good if not better. But it is a weird thing to copy. Like I'm with you, Andy. Like I, I don't see a lot of consumers demanding a notch. They're like, I must have a notch, otherwise my phone is is obsolete. And, and if and if we, if we do notch. want a notch, if we do want a notch, it's exactly like Andy <laughs> said, we don't want a bottom bezel because. If you've given me a bezel, like just match the bezels. Like, what? What on earth is the point? Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna have the notch, fair enough, cut it out. I mean, Essential Phone did it first. Let's face it, and they have the the tiniest notch in the world because there is literally just one camera behind it and nothing else. But they actually got rid of all the other bezels as well. It's like, what? I don't. I just don't understand. Like, I, I get the comparison, and to actually point it out in your keynote is just. I mean, ASUS. This is the kind of interesting stuff they do. I mean, the, way back to the release of the iPad. You know, you had a Johnny Shee on stage explaining him the pad phone and here's a pad and a phone. You don't need both because you can have one. And it's <laughs> like I get it, that's the history of the company, but it's just this is just super weird. Yeah, I think it I think it's a little bit embarrassing because uh, ASUS does, has done a great job, I think, of making uh cheap but well built and interesting phones. But yeah, and the, the other and the other thing is that uh I I I don't have my hands on one, but I've been reading as much as I can by people who did try it out. And a couple of people are really saying about how it make it really makes the iPhone 10 look that much better because Asus they didn't really think that much about what are we going to do with that extra hmm. screen real estate what does it mean to have data that are in those two little extra ears uh, and what happens when you have an app that's not really optimized for that uh, and yes the next version of Android is going to have special considerations for screens that have those little ears or those that, that notch or whatever but it really does look thrown together um before we get to the our second commercial there's one thing i really wanted to 
the throw in here. Yes. Uh, there is one of the hottest phones <laughs> has yes. been the, a new Nokia's, a Nokia 8110, uh, which is, of course, unfortunately, it's not Nokia, Nokia. It's or Nokia. Uh, it is the <laughs> what it is the company that bought the rights to Nokia's intellectual property. But they created HMD such a, Global. Thank you very much. I knew it was letters. <laughs> but I knew I was not going to get those letters correct. Uh, <laughs> um so they decided to revive like the classic Nokia 8110, uh, also known as the Matrix phone because Keanu Reeves was using it in the Matrix. But <laughs> as I have to say that I, I'm not, and I'm not alone in reacting this way. I think it's a super cool phone, and I'm kind yes. of interested in getting one. It's a it's yes. a old, it's an oldie yes it's an old timey sort of thing where you there's a visible screen and you, there's a slider that exposes the keypad, but uh, it's a, it's color it's not that old time. It has a color screen. It has a modern ish processor for a feature phone. But the idea that it's uh, it's less than less than a hundred bucks U.S. So that's affordable as a second phone. And also, uh, the things that really, the things that uh, really got to me is that uh, it has Google Assistant built in. It has Google Maps built in. It also has Twitter and and Facebook built in. But for me, once you have the Assistant, that makes it a really good extension of my desktop experience and even like my regular main phone experience. I, it's reading more about this really made me think that. If this were if this there were a phone like this that also acted as a mobile Wi-Fi hotspot, if you had a phone that could just te- take calls, uh, calls and text messages, I could use as a mobile hotspot, and I could still like say, okay, Guillermo, remind me tomorrow to pick up you know baloney or whatever, and it would it would pay off on my Google Home, it would pay off on my on my real phone. That is a really interesting product. I, I I don't think I'd go for the yellow banana color, but ten points out of ten for having for, to both Nokia and Samsung for saying. <laughs> I, I'm so sick of like having that part of the conversation with a phone maker, and I say, well, "What color does it come in?" Oh, it comes in both colors, black and gray. Like, okay, <laughs> thank thank you for moving our dystopia a little bit closer to tomorrow than it was before. But yeah, it was a. a, a glaringly like safety yellow phone that's interesting yes and i'm gonna buy one i'm gonna get the yellow one and i'm gonna set the ringtone to go ring 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 banana phone every time (laughs) 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 i think somebody already actually i think we actually made that joke on all about android and it was not that was not an original joke i'm sorry That's okay. That's what okay. happens. The days muddle together. I forget the jokes are made. I think I think we're appreciating that you're workshopping stuff in advance. <laughs> no, I think I took this one from it's Jason like, Howell. Actually, you, Sorry. you talk to the most amazing comedians in the world, and what do they do? They practice the same joke for hours and hours and hours, and they try it out in a smaller venue. They see if it works. And we, like Andy says, we appreciate that for you. you just you make sure the joke's good before you bring it onto our podcast. Before, well, I appropriated it. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta say that if if I do get it, when I, when I choose a ringtone, I would have to find like a mid nineteen nineties ringtone. Either, what about it's peanut butter jelly time? I was gonna butter. say that that would work. For, I would, it would have, to, it would have to be like some movie, like, like it'd be the only phone that says "Oh behave." <laughs> oh, I miss phones when we used to just have the most embarrassing ringtones. Oh, that's the best just... thing. You're on the bus or the train or something, and someone's phone yes. rings, and it's one. And you're like, ah. Now it's just everybody has the default iPhone, which is like do, 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 or whatever the thing, and it's just like, oh, come on, really? Oh, don't even you get me started. Even take- it is so hard to get a custom ringtone on the iPhone in 2018. It's just, it's ridiculous. I don't even want to go there. 
Telegram. Well, just just remember that today's like loser small business person that thinks he's going to make a million dollars with his business that sells like iPhone apps. In the <laughs> 1990s, it was the loser who thinks he's going to make a million dollars selling custom ringtones. Like five years after the people who actually made a million dollars selling custom ringtones sold made that money. So. <laughs> Speaking of uh, selling you things, have we we got an offer for you? We've got our second sponsor here on the show. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company who offer uptime monitoring and web performance management. Uh, You're probably more familiar with Pingdom than you think because Pingdom are helping you to keep your favorite sites online. So things like Evernote, BuzzFeed, Netflix, Imager. I'm just like Flo, I don't know how to pronounce that one. If you used any of these sites recently and not run into any trouble, you may have Pingdom to thank for that. Our websites are pretty sophisticated now, and so there's so many different moving parts. You've got contact forms, you've got e-commerce checkouts, login, search function, just so many different things that you have to make sure are available to all your customers. So Pingdom lets you check the availability of all these functions. It's not just about getting a message when your entire site goes down. You can actually monitor individual you know, bits of your site, and that's how you know, oh, the search box isn't working, or this particular page, you know, something on it doesn't work. Um, all Pingdom needs is a URL that you want to monitor, and they can take care of the rest. So if this sounds interesting to you, go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. That's P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, you can use the offer code MATERIAL at checkout, and you'll get a massive 30% off your first invoice. So we want to thank Pingdom so much for the support of this show and all of RelayFM. Well, there's, there, as far as Google news, Google's kind of laid back. They did have one big announcement, and uh, it's about releasing the Flutter cross-platform app framework into beta. So obviously, Russell, I'm going to be taking this topic because I have so many. No, actually, no. I think, Russell, <laughs> I think you should talk about this. I'm really scared my about husband, talking about this. Oh. My husband had a lot to say about this, actually. Uh, I just want to add first that I got a, I got some questions about this this week, and then I felt like I just deferred to him. Uh, I said, can you just answer the people who are asking me on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know, because he's a developer and I'm not. So, And he uses Xamarin. Well, the question was Xamarin versus Flutter. But I'm going to let Russell, first of all, tell us what's going on. Yeah, so for those of you like Flutter, what are you talking about? Is this some like new Twitter clone? Is this the new social network I've been hearing about? It's um, it's a, a user interface development language from Google. It's been around for a little while, but it's it's kind of seeing more sort of wide release now, and they've brought the actual the framework itself into beta. And this this. Quite a few sort of interesting things to unpack here. So one is that we've talked about Flutter before. It's actually the user interface language of the Fuchsia operating system that Google's working Mm -hmm. on. Um, We won't worry about that today, except that that's the thing that they chose to build their user interfaces on. I guess the really interesting thing that they announced um, this week is that you can now use this to build iOS and Android apps. And like Flo said, there exists other frameworks that will do this. There's Xamarin, there's, there's React Native. There's a whole bunch of different things that the idea is... You know, developers are lazy or you don't have enough developers or they're too freaking expensive like all these developers. What if we could just get them to make the app once and then we could run that same app on different platforms? So that's, you know, Xamarin and all these other the frameworks, that's what they do. That's what Flutter does as well. And the way it does it in this particular case, and I'm really trying not to get down in the weeds here, but they actually rebuild all the different, you know, iOS components and Android components natively inside Flutter. So what it means is you're not having to write two different styles of user interface. You're just saying, I want to switch here, I want to label here, I want to align them these particular ways. And the the Flutter framework sort of takes care of that. And it's got some really cool sort of developer bits to it. So one thing you can't really do in mobile development um, 
you know, traditional mobile development is I make a change. To see that change, I have to hit, you know, run and go again and I have to wait for it to compile the little bits that I've written and then those things get spit out to my emulator or my simulator or whatever. It's, it, I know that doesn't sound like much, but that sort of 30-second loop of like pressing something and waiting for something to happen can really slow down um, mobile development. And web developers don't have this. You know, they change stuff in their sites, live update, and they, they rub that in your face. At every single conference you go to, they're like, I'm a web developer. Look at how this works. So <laughs> this is something that Flutter does. It has that whole concept of like you change stuff, it changes, you know, instantly. You don't have to do anything else. And it's it's really interesting way of developing in that sense. I guess the bit that your husband was talking about, Flo, is that it to, in order to use it, you have to use a language called Dart. And if you've never heard of that language, you're probably not alone. Like it's it's not that popular in the world like if you want to compare it to uh, C Sharp or C++ or even like Objective-C, Swift, you know, Java, Kotlin, the, the kind of things that mobile apps are written in now, like those ang- languages are all, I don't have the stats in front of me, but they're all like a level above Dart in terms of popularity, not in terms of, I don't want to offend any Dart development, not developers, not in terms of usability, but just the fact that you might have developers already and they're just not familiar with that language. So that's something they'd have to learn. They have to learn this framework and and that's, I guess, where some people have some concerns about this because when you learn like the Android SDK and you sort of wrap yourself in that, now you can build mobile apps. You're like, you're really good at it. You can build the most native sort of experience possible. Um, the same thing on iOS. When you learn the iOS sort of SDK, like you learn about how the different controls work and you use the common components and you put them together. Um, those skills are transferable. Like you go to another company that does Android development, you're like, yep, I'm an Android developer. And they're like, no worries, you know the Android SDK and you go. Um, If you train yourself up in Flutter, then you've got that risk. Like are enough people using this? Like will my skills be transferable? If I'm an Android developer who uses only Flutter and then I go to another company and they don't use it, then my skills are Mm. 90% useless. Like it's, it's that kind of weird place where if this really takes off, then great, you know, this is something you really want to get behind um, and be a part of. But if it doesn't take off, it's, it's a real risk as a developer spending months of your life like learning this framework and maybe you deploy it and you find out, oh, you know what, there's just a few too many edge cases here that I don't like and now you're stuck inside that framework and I guess that's the that's the real developer reservation is we're all kind of terrified of that to be honest is that you learn something really well like this, you use it, you hit some limitation that you can't get past and that's it. You've hit the wall. Like there's nowhere else to go. You can either rewrite your entire app, you know, natively or you can, you know, try and contact the developers and file bug reports and see if you can sort of get through things that way. So I don't want to put a dampener on this. It is it is a really cool framework. I know some people that use it um, that are really excited about it. I believe the Hamilton app and a few other apps in the Google Play Store were were written in it and you can play with those apps and sort of, you know, see how they work. But I don't know, I just have some real hesitations about this because we already have really sophisticated development tools for both iOS and Android. And I know sometimes you have to do things twice and that's annoying, but it is how you get the best results and it does work. So I wonder, yeah, how this kind of fits into the world. How does this fit in? Um, So I know Xamarin is Microsoft, React is Facebook. And so when I look at it from when I look at it from the flow perspective, the flow perspective is I see Google, Microsoft, and Facebook going, devs, devs, use us, <laughs> use us. Oh, go over here. No, over here. Uh, that's kind of what I see. But I'm wondering, how does this fit in in the landscape? And explain this to a non-dev. How does this fit in in the landscape with Kotlin? Because remember, at Kotlin, at Google I.O., all the developers in the crowd went, yay! It was like this collective <laughs> yay that I had never seen before at a developer conference. And I've been to many. Yeah, in my sh- in my short little career, um, so yeah, Russell, how does that all fit together? 
Yeah, it's two completely separate things, unfortunately. So okay. for, for those that aren't familiar with the Android used to be developed in a language called Java. It's It's, it's been around for decades. It's a, it's a fairly old language, like it's fairly um, well-known. But for whatever reason, and I don't want to go into the reasons on this podcast, like it's not really that important, but a lot of developers don't like it. Like they feel like it's kind of a bit arcane. and it's very verbose. It's very like it. if you're talking about, you know, typing things into like an editor, it makes you type a lot of stuff in, like a lot of stuff and lots of brackets and lots of extra things and a lot of developers don't like that. And so they saw languages, um, more modern languages like Kotlin and they're like, oh, man, I wish I could use that on Android. And about... You know, two years ago or so, the people that actually developed Kotlin are like, "Yeah, sure, you can you can use it on Android." And then a year ago at Google, I, Google was like, "Thumbs up, it's now like an officially supported language." And that's why developers went nuts because they got this what they felt like was a more modern language. You know, the syntax was a lot shorter. You could do all these cool um, functional programming things that all the kids are into now. I'm told, you know, like <laughs> I don't even know how to explain some of this stuff, but flat maps and for all these mm-hmm. like things that you can do. Basically, a, a whole bunch of ways to do. Are things with way less code. So they let you write maybe like, you know, two-thirds of the code that you were writing before. And as a developer, that means you're way more productive. And the problem is that Dart really doesn't relate to Kotlin at all. They're just two different languages. Like they have some similarities like all programming languages do, but there's no obvious path between the two. And you kind of feel like if Google was one coordinated company all heading in the same direction with um, centralized sort of management for all mm. these projects, they probably would have chosen something like Kotlin. If they knew that was coming, mm. they would have said, let's go with this instead. But instead you kind of have, yeah, this other language, Dart, sort of in the mix, which to me complicates things. But, I mean, if you're a fan of Dart, maybe maybe it's a good thing. I've never really used it that much, to be mm. honest. Sounds uh, very parallel to, uh, I don't know, Google's messaging strategy <laughs> for Android. I don't know. I noticed there's a lot of uh, just sort of very interesting well, you, yeah. projects. You've hit the nail on the head there because this is the interesting part, right, is a lot of people are now speculating what does the future of Android development look like? Like does Google one day replace Android development with Flutter or is Flutter a completely separate um, thing that they're just going to maintain for Fushu and sort of other things that they do? Like it's it's. It's a confusing message from Google because they never come out and said exactly what this is going to be for in the future. Like one day is every Android developer going to be a Flutter developer or the two never going to meet? Like we just, we don't know. Yeah. I was trying to figure out like how this fits in, how this compares to Apple's creation and then promotion of Swift. Oh, where yeah. they're trying to, they it too is the, hey, we're giving this brand new language as of that you've never heard of and literally has not existed. We're giving you a 500-page PDF that you're going to have to read on the flight home from WWDC this year so you know what's going on. But on the other hand, they're also essentially saying that if you learn Swift, this, this is going to be part of the big Apple pyramid of stuff that we make and we do as opposed to, oh, we heard that you guys like Catlin, Caitlin, we heard that you guys like, the, you, you guys and you women like this sort of programming language so we decided to make this available to you if you want to use it and if you want to find your own community, lash your little life rafts together into one big raft and find a way to survive on this turbulent ocean where everybody is using not that to develop their apps. Yeah, and it's interesting. The, the, the interesting thing for those that don't know is Swift and Kotlin, are, they're almost identical looking as languages. Like uh, uh, Kotlin was public first, so you can kind of draw your own conclusions there. Like maybe they were just language developers were headed into the same place. But Phil and I now look at our code when we're developing, you know, Android apps in Kotlin and iOS apps in Swift, and the code is disturbingly similar, like right down to a lot of the syntax of the language. And then you look at Dart and hmm. it's like it's familiar, but it is not really like those other two. Like it's... It's another programming language again. So it's like speaking two romance languages versus a Germanic language. Exactly. Exactly. Precisely. Or- <laughs> this is why I've never learned German. 
It's just not <laughs> happening. Like Spanish, Italian, no problem. Bring it on. Like German, not happening. Yeah, like you think of Latin-based <laughs> languages like, you know, French and Italian, and they're very similar. Like and a Romanian. lot of the same words. Romanian as well. I did not know that. There you, you, go. Can, you can probably find the bathroom in any 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 Latin language that you come up with. So, yes. <laughs> True. True. Uh, I appreciate that, Russell. Thank you. I feel like that is, um, I feel like for for people who are fans of like Android and Google, it's just kind of nice to know, not nice to know, it's important to know what is going on behind the scenes also because, um, because this happens in Silicon Valley a lot. Like these, and I use Silicon Valley as kind of the tech world is what I mean is you just have these companies competing for developers. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. essentially what's going on here. It's I companies, feel so wanted uh, sometimes. <laughs> hey, you know, developers and consumers, that's what's going to, you know, developers are going to create the ecosystem for you and consumers are going to buy the stuff in the ecosystem. So uh, you want to be able to build that up, right? Um, but if it's hard for you guys to do, then there's hard, there's no, or not hard, but if it's annoying and complicated, then there's very, there's the incentive kind of falls a little bit. Yeah. I, I also yeah. imagine that a lot of these sort of decisions, no, no matter how cool this new language it is, no matter how problems you how many problems you think it will solve in your workflow, when it comes to learning a new programming language, the first question you have to answer for yourself, I imagine, is how impressed or non impressed will an employer be to see I have I know <laughs> I know how to program in Flutter on my resume as opposed to I have mastered the following four JavaScript based uh, Java based frameworks. Yeah, yeah, there is that, and it, I mean, it depends. Like, are you one of the people who really wants to be an early adopter and jump on sort of new hip things? Like, maybe this will take off. Maybe like your early adoption will pay off because, you know, what recruiters love to do in resumes is like, we need someone with two years of Flutter experience. You're like, actually, Flutter's only been out for like one and a half years. I don't know quite <laughs> how you're going to get there, but you could at least be like, I was there on day one, not like all these other losers who turned up like a year and a half later when it became popular. But <laughs> there's the opposite risk: is it goes nowhere, and now you've kind of wasted your time i guess let me show you my swift tattoo it's on my bum <laughs> it would be inappropriate to drop my trousers in this interview so i'll just show you my instagram <laughs> my, my trip to puerto Vallarta. <laughs> how to get the job step one yes exactly tattoo the, your favorite programming language onto your buttocks that's that's my tip to you it used to be a lisp logo <laughs> There's no question from your employer, like, is this a language you love? You're like, look, look where it is. Oh, boy. That one, that one made me snort because that was a good joke. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate that one. Oh, I That's hate our it time. I... Good night. We should probably wrap this show. Um, Flo, where can people find out the stuff you're doing this week, especially all the home automation stuff that people seem to be super into? I just filed another article, review.com, uh, about the Google Home. Oh, not about the, just about the Google Home, just about smart homes, smart home stuff, smart home productivity. Uh, I don't know when that's going up, but it's going to go up soon, hopefully by the time you hear this podcast. So check out review.com for some stuff I'm doing. I'm also doing stuff at Tom's Guide, and I've got some other stuff coming out later this next month. I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm working. <laughs> nice. Just follow me on Twitter. Excellent. And Andy, if people want to uh, suggest tattoos that, you know, programming languages that you can get and kind of follow the progress of how that's going, where where should they go? 
Well, I really want to throw the floor open because I don't have any tattoos. So if anybody has an idea for a monumental back piece, okay. And, <laughs> and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm built of sturdy, like Russian slash Eastern European stock. So that, that's a big canvas to work with. And again, you, again, you won't have to work around like a speedy Gonzalez tattoo in my shoulder or a tribal back Celtic cross or something like that. You got the whole, you got the whole, whole Megillah there. So if it's a really great idea, there's no chance I'll seriously consider it, but at least it'll be an interesting story to hear about. Uh, so you can hear about all the tattoos I'm not getting uh, on Anatko on Twitter. I'm Anatko on Instagram. Uh, Anatko.com is my blog. And the stuff about tech I write about for pay are almost always on the Chicago Sun-Times website at suntimes.com. <laughs> I'm just so excited about this tattoo idea. I'm sorry. Um, you can find me at Rusty Shelf on Twitter. Uh, you can find our show Material Podcast at Twitter. Um, a lot of you found our email during the week, so I'll give you that again. It's materialpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also go to relay.fm slash material if you're wondering what is a membership and how do I get me these special episodes that um, come out once a year. Um, you'll find all the relay, uh, info there, sorry, relayfm slash material. I should point out that like one uh, one other piece of like listener feedback that we got that wasn't in the show, wasn't in the show notes was last week we we're talking about or maybe this is off uh, off mic after the show but we're talking about you know if you're if you remember occasionally we do these special episodes that are only available to members and we talked about let's do let's do a, a marathon episode that just doesn't end like six seven eight nine hours like the sort the sort of thing where if you need to go out for uh, uh, if you leave your apartment to run some errands or go out to work but there's some like shifty looking characters outside you can just like leave this running and people will think that people are in your apartment talking about android uh and so uh, we're joking about a six-hour podcast and then someone said that hey do you know that there was like a three and a half hour accidental tech podcast uh and uh, i said wow what what happened did they like lose power in the middle of it why did they go <laughs> so short it, it's it seems as though there's something really bad in uh well i won't claim it's the human psyche maybe it's my psyche that says three hours and 20 minutes we can do a pod i can do a podcast longer than three hours and 20 <laughs> oh, minutes i can tell it you won't. about my life with tech <laughs> my life with tech there you go it all started I, I think this is going to have to be a thing, actually. We're going to have to make a, a six-hour episode. We're going to have to just... discuss it. Uh, so I did a peak, peak minus 116.711, and that bastard didn't go into 80-column mode. <laughs> it stayed in 40-column mode. I hear this click from the speaker, and I'm like, I'm looking at my Beagle Brothers peaks, pokes, and pointers chart, and I'm like, what gives, Beagle Brothers? <laughs> and the thing is, we okay. do this podcast from our own houses. Well, not Russell, <laughs> but Russell could. That so could. we could be very, we could be in our comfortable spaces. I don't know. We'll talk about it. Mm, we'll talk about it. That's, that's something. That's something to look forward to. But particularly if we, particularly if we look at the response to this, as if we get a mandate from the masses, then I think that we would kind of. Hey, have if to you sign up for a membership out there, who knows? That could <laughs> that could be the thing that inspires us to to do this, to band together and give you the story of our lives. <laughs> I I could give you a story of my life. I'm not sure if it would be the story of my life. Well, limit yourself to one story. You know, if it's a six-hour podcast, we've got time for a few stories, I think. High in the Ural Mountains is a lonely place to grow up, particularly if, if you're a young nomad, given the name of Andrew Ilyich Anatko. But there are yaks that need to be herded. There are sheep that need to be curded. Meanwhile, the yurt looks like it's not going to last another season unless... Fresh ewes are hewn and stripped. Yes, it was 1831, and none of us at the time knew that it was going to be. 
Man, we were the far toughest back winters. There. Well, again, I don't. Uh, what am I going to do? Okay, uh, well, this morning uh, I got up at eight thirty because uh, my sleep as Android app woke me up then, uh, and I checked my mail, and there wasn't much going on, so I kind of went back to sleep for another ninety minutes, uh, and then uh, I read comics uh, in bed on the go. Co- See, I think people want a little bit more pep. I want the backstory. That's what they're here for. They're here for the full backstory. I'm um, speaking of backstories, and this is the worst segue in history. There's a car race literally about to start outside my window. The clips are <laughs> 500, so this podcast is going to be unrecordable uh, in the next 30 seconds. So we, I'm sorry, but we're really going to have to wrap this up. And I will say to you, dear listener, until next week, au revoir, mes amis, au revoir. <laughs>